everybody. It's me, your friendly neighborhood black person. Welcome to Black History Month. Uh, and to commemorate it, we are having a black man beyond. And also because Kevin is off doing Kevin shit. Um, so it's me. I'm here sans Kev, but I do have a friend who is coming along to play with me for the next hour. Um, and she's the best. She's been here before. You all know her and love her. But we'll we'll get to the gloriousness that is Tiffany Smith in a little bit. Um, and then we're going to talk about Last of Us. And we're going to talk about the raft of things that James Gunn announced that DC is doing. But first, we got to pay some bills. And so the way we're going to pay bills this week is from our good folks at nativedeodorant.com. So right now, if you want to play along, go to nativedeo.com slash fatman. And then you can use the promo code FATMAN at checkout to get a sweet 20% off your first order. Um, what would you be ordering, you ask? Well, when it comes to Valentine's Day, I am all about that sweet candy. I'm all about your Twixes and your Reese's Peanut Butter Cups and your Ring Pops and your Big League Chews. Uh, and that's why I'm loving Native's new limited edition candy shop collection. Like all Native products, they are thoughtfully formulated to keep me and you feeling and smelling deliciously fresh all day long. You know they have their aluminum-free deodorant. Uh, they keep their ingredients list bare naked with ingredients you can understand, like coconut oil and shea butter and baking soda. And they check a lot of boxes. 72-hour odor protection, naturally derived ingredients, and a smooth residue-free application. They also offer a variety of scents with new and limited edition scents being released all the time, like the Candy Shop Collection. They got gummy bears, strawberry and vanilla taffy, which I have on right now, sour berry melt, belt, Sourberry belt, that's hard to say. But hey, whether you want to smell sweet or spicy and woodsy or clean and fresh, Native has a scent option for everyone. So now's the time to make the switch from an antiperspirant to Native. And when you visit their site, you can discover all their fresh scents and maybe even try out one of their body washes while you're at it. I've also got rainbow sprinkle and I smell like a cookie, which is the best. So Right now, go to nativedeo.com slash fatman or use the promo code fatman at checkout to get a sweet 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash fatman or use the promo code fatman at checkout for 20% off your first order. And as always, we thank the good folks at Native for being a sponsor of your friendly neighborhood podcast, which is us, whether we're in your neighborhood or not. So thank you, Native. Thank you, Native. Welcome, my friends. Um, we are going to talk today about a couple of things, but before I do so, I want to welcome um, the wise and wonderful, the great and powerful um, Tiffany Smith uh, onto this here podcast. Hi, Tiffany Smith. I feel like I'm coming in. This is all my power. Excellent. Channeling uh, the I'm eldritch here. beams <laughs> from the universe. Hey. Hello. <laughs> um, are you? This is totally not an ad, but I love native theater. <laughs> See, excellent. <laughs> you know, this is the perfect, perfect episode for me to be on. I mean, if we knew, I'd have had you on the ad read and you could have helped me gas them up. I mean, I'm gassing them up right now because that's what I use. So nice job. You win. Um, Tiffany and I have known each other for uh, what feels like uh, not a long time at all, but also an eternity, which is the yeah. way that you'd like, you know, friends to feel like there's there's deep history, but also we're not bored of each other yet, which is <laughs> which is why she was like, yeah, I'll come on and talk to you for an hour that I can do. <laughs> I love doing it. I also think, I mean, it's like some people know this. Most people should know this. Mark and I have the same birthday. So I feel like that is part of the bond too. that like, we do. I, 
I every time I every time I post memes about Sagittarius, it's like man, Mark, same thing. Uh, yes, and so Tiffany and I continue to threaten to throw a joint birthday party at some time. Um, we have not done it yet, um, but it'll it'll happen. It'll happen. We'll do it at the canteen. We'll have a grand old time. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, we share that same birthday with the late Chadwick Boseman, which is always uh, bittersweet. Um, and also, Tiffany and I have been involved in at least two professional productions together. Um, we, uh, I was a writer on Masters of the Universe, and she was in Masters of the Universe Revelation. Um, and uh, she was also gracious enough to donate a couple days of her time to come and make a short film with me called Splinter. Mm-hmm. which has now yeah. uh, scheduled its first public screenings or in a couple of weeks at the Pan-African Film Festival here in Los Angeles. Um, and, uh, and I'm so excited to see, to see Tiffany and, uh, and her friends on, uh, on the big screen in front of yeah. other people. It's, I think it's one of the coolest things about being in this industry is meeting people and then like following each other's journey and getting to help each other out and be a part of projects and stuff where it's like, we both started in very different parts of the industry than where we are now. And so when we first met, it was more like journalist kind of talk and things and how are we transitioning to this other side? And so to get to a place where, you know, it was doing animated stuff and doing voiceover for it and how excited I was. And I was like, not only is this my first character that I get to take through a whole season, but it's on a show with my friends who wrote it, which makes me feel that much more excited and confident. Um, and then of Yay. course, when you were like, I'm doing a short, I was like, yes, I will be sleeping person in chair, whatever you need me for. I'm there. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, and so when, when, uh, when this episode came around and I was like, it's time to start talking about last of us. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, who do I know who would be fun? Um, and then I asked Tiffany if she'd watch it. She said, no, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty much how it went down he was like have you watched yet i was like i have not yet he's like well and i was like and i have not played the game um but i i had i had a plan to watch but ever like i'm kind of a scaredy cat so hmm. everyone had been like oh it's really scary and i was like okay so i need to plan a time that i can watch it and then watch something that's like lighthearted afterwards to kind of clean the slate before i go to sleep Mm. Um, and when I tell you that, like, I started the first episode, watched the second one, and then immediately started the first one again, because the third one hadn't come out yet. I, it wasn't as scary as everyone made me think it was going to be. And I love every second of this show. Well, then we are going to have ourselves a rip roaring conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and not because I didn't like it. I like it quite a bit. I was, I was in the bag for it because I played the game, yeah. um, slash games, and, uh, and was telling Kevin about these games like years ago and about how great they were. And it's, it's, you know, it's less about the playthrough and it's more about the story and this character journey of this, this broken man who discovers his humanity through, you know, this like lone wolf and cubby mission of I've got to escort this person from one place to another. Um, and the game is just wonderful in so many ways. Um, but the show is different from the game. In, uh, in, in ways both small and large, the largest of them being episode three, um, mm-hmm. which if anybody has watched it, and I'm assuming that you have because you're here um, and we know who we are, people. Like who, spoilers. Who spoilers, we are going to talk spoilers if you haven't watched it. Yes, we're going to talk spoilers. I'm not going to spoil the game though. I'm going to leave that yeah. stuff out because I know what happens. 
unless they deviate wildly from it. But I also get the feeling that the reasons why you make the show is because you want to get to that same endpoint as the as the game did. So I'll leave that. I'll leave the deeper spoilers uh, uh, unspoiled. I'll be the person who like read the Game of Thrones books and then wants to invite <laughs> people over to watch the Red Wedding. I'm like I know what's going to happen. It's yeah. going to be so cool. Yeah. I just want to watch you watch it. Um, yeah, I'll be the I'll be the cuck in the corner watching people watch um, <laughs> Last of Us. Yeah, but, I um, can't spoil anything because, like I said, I didn't play the game, um, right. and I probably like I through doing voiceover and being playing other games, being into games, I've heard a lot about the game. So I probably have stuff in the back of my mind that I'm like, oh, I kind of, I might remember things later, but mm. I won't spoil anything from the game. Really, That's fair. That's fair. Um, so are you a zombie person generally? So I am not generally a zombie person. I remember when I first started reading The Walking Dead that I was at a comic shop and it was like early, early when the comic started and they were like, you should read this. It's amazing. I was like, I don't really like zombies and I don't really like black and white. Um, and they're like, it's not about the zombies. It's like about humanity. And then I started reading. I was like, yes, I love this. Um, and so I think there is always something where it's like, if you can contrast humans and their behavior to zombies or some kind of monsters, um, I think you get some really cool stories. And that has definitely been my experience so far within three episodes of the last of us. Are you a, uh, post-apocalypse person? Uh, I love watching post-apocalypse. <laughs> I do. And I like, I, I feel like there's this weird balancing act of like that first episode. There's so much stuff in there where you can find articles that talks about, you know, cordyceps and all the things that they're discussing and things that are happening in the world where it almost feels a little too close to home where you're like, how close are we to something like this actually happening? Um but I'm not not so much of a doom prepper that like, you know, I'm not like Bill. You're not Bill. Um, yeah, it's for the, there's there's a bit in a, I guess in the second episode, they talk about, I guess, the origins of it a little bit, like where it comes from. And then in episode three, Joel does say, well, some people say that it was spread through this cereal, you know, through the things that we that we, you know, do we use every day that everybody uses every day. That's how it spread so fast, um, which didn't make me feel great. Because, like, again, close to home, like, don't tell me it's spread through the food. Like, come on, guys. Like, just leave me. Leave, leave me out. <laughs> leave me out. There was, a, there was a show. It used to be on, I want to say, like, the Discovery Channel, the Science Channel, called Life After People. It was a documentary thing. Uh-huh. And it was basically like, let's say people disappeared from the earth today. What happens to, like, cities? And then they would do it yeah. by, like, in one week in one month, in one year, in 10 years. And it would all be like just showing the collapse of the systems that held things in place. Like here's where the moss begins to grow. Here's when the power goes out because there's nobody manning the electrical factories. Here's when the air gets better. Here's when the, like the dams begin to crack because nobody's maintained, like all of just the little ways that worlds begin to, to erode without people being there. Um, and then so to watch stuff like Last of Us, especially in the second episode, once they get out of the, the, the QZ and they're into like greater Boston and just watching like buildings toppled and watching the moss grow and what happens to a, a hotel lobby, like all of that stuff is just like, you know, catnip to me. I'm like, Oh, yeah, no, that looks creepy. Yeah. Well, and even like I, I will say, I think that 
the first episode for me was I was on the edge of my seat the whole time because I, I mean, again, maybe it's because it's felt close to home where it's like, there were moments over the last couple of years where things have happened and you're like, what would I do in that situation? How would I get out of LA if I needed to? And you're watching it happen. And it's like, people would go bananas. You wouldn't know where to go. And this is, I will admit this, um, two reasons that I got my motorcycle license. One, I really like Sons of Anarchy. Uh, and two, I was like, if anything ever happens, <laughs> if I can ride a motorcycle, I probably could get out of places easier and I don't need a ton of gas. Um, so uh, yes, I, I mean, maybe in that way, I'm like a little bit of a prepper, a tiny bit. <laughs> that is, uh, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. It's like, listen, it's because I like this TV show yeah. and also the apocalypse. I feel like that's a lot of things that I try to happen, <laughs> which is why I'm an actor where I'm like, oh, that seems cool. I want to learn that for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. To the boys and girls and others, uh, at home who are not caught up to date. On, on Last of Us or have not even watched it yet. Again, we're going to spoil the shit out of it. So if that is the case, if that is you, then maybe just like go and make a lot of toast for like 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> you know, like make it nicey nice, like make it just the right level of brown. Like then like you do the toast, you pull it out, you put the butter on it and then you put it back in the toaster while it's still hot. I have the, the, the toaster oven, not a toaster toaster. If you have a toaster toaster, don't do that. You're going to burn up your house. But if you've got a toaster oven, slide it back, the butter will melt just right. And then you bring it back out and then you can smear it and it's glorious and glistening and shiny. Go do that for like 20 minutes. And we're going to talk yeah. about Last of Us and then we'll come back. Um, it is about uh, a fellow named Joel um, who was living in Austin the day everything went to shit, um, which was September something in tw 2003, um, where he and his daughter, played by uh, Tendi Wayne uh, Newton's daughter, um, which was like, she's great. Um mm -hmm. Fucking Pedro Pascal uh, is just giving deep, like Clint Eastwood, Burt Reynolds vibes in this as the the, the last the last man standing at the edge of the world. Um, and so he and his daughter are trying to get out of a uh, Austin that is rapidly being taken over by um, cordyceps, by a fungal people infected by a fungal um, infection as opposed to a viral infection that's turning them into like mushroom monster zombies, I think. Um, and so we see we see the world collapse in a day. We see planes drop out of the sky. We see people running panicked. We see you know military guys just being ordered to shoot to kill because they don't know what to do. And the the apparently the default for uh, for the military, at the very least in Texas, was shoot everybody who uh, who you don't know to be verifiably um, healthy. And so his daughter dies. Spoilers. Um, his uh, his brother just kind of vanishes into the ether. We don't know what happened between them, but when we pick up 20 years later, Joel is like disposing of children's bodies <laughs> you know, in a burn pit because that's how in the quarantine zone run by um, Fedra, which seems to be the, uh, the, the weird mixture of like the Homeland Security meets like EMTs meets the army. Um, has has a the way they deal with people who might be infected is you kill them as humanely as you can and then you burn the body so that the infection doesn't spread um he's a hollowed out husk of a man because again aforementioned daughter dying um and uh and so the story seems to be one about 
Joel finding a way to regain his humanity through this mission that he's entrusted with, which is to escort Ellie, uh, played by Bella Ramsey, who seems to be the one person in all the world who is immune to, uh, to this fungal infection. She, she has been bitten and has never turned. And so he's got to get her to the Fireflies who want to synthesize um, something using her blood. She's not entirely sure what. Nobody's entirely sure what. And the and Fireflies are basically rebels. The Fireflies are basically rebels. It's the Rebel Alliance, and Fedra is, you know, the Empire. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so our guys have to leave um, the, the, the shittiest version of Boston. And I say that with uh, only a tiny amount of love for Boston because I'm a New Yorker. And so some things are bred into the blood. <laughs> so like Boston, that looks about right. <laughs> this is how it looked the last time I was there. <laughs> uh, and so they have to leave Boston and they've got to traverse the wilderness um, on their way to Wyoming or Wisconsin. It was a W state and I can't remember which um, to find his brother. Um, and who used to be a firefly and then to hand off Ellie and then go about whatever life Joel thinks he's going to be able to, to retain um, potentially with his girlfriend named Tess played by fringes Anna Torv, who I thought was Carrie Coon for the entire first episode. <laughs> Until I was like, Oh, 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 fringe. There she is. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's the basic plot. It's it's a road movie picture. It's an adventure thing. It's traversing the forbidden West um, to find a way to salvation. Um, and along the way, people will die. Um, people will discover who they are. People will um, find deep and abiding love. Um, and that's just the first three episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the first I mean, episodes. I think the the... Like I said, the craziest part to me was watching the beginning and literally looking over at my vitamin stash where I'm like, I have so many powders that are made of mushroom. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're watching in Los Angeles, I'm sure that you do too. (laughs) Um, Uh, So like, again, I'm like, am I indoctrinating myself so when this happens, it won't affect me? Or am I making myself a ready vessel for when this does happen? I don't know. Um... (laughs) <laughs> but the the way that they handle things on the show with that, I thought was so cool. Because also, I will say this, I've not played games, but I'm a huge dork. And I like watching all the like after chat show kind of stuff where the mm-hmm. creators are talking about the game and things that they changed and why they did certain things. Um, and like that is one of my favorite things about film and television where you're going to make something that's in a fantasy world but they still went so in depth on the science to try and figure out like, how can this actually work? How much of this would be realistic? How do we figure out how this can spread? And that was one of the things I know they changed from the game because in the game, um, a lot of it is spread by spores, which they airborne that part away on this one, which I get because it's like, how do you show that? And how would everyone just not always, everyone just would be infected all the time if you can't see it in the game format. Um, yeah, I mean, the game played a lot with like gas masks was a thing that, you know, characters put on with with decent regularity. Yeah. Um, and you can't do that that much. I mean, though, I will say Pedro Pascal has experience in occasionally playing a character who wears a mask a lot. Um, yeah. It's hard to dramatize these two characters if they're both cloaked in World War Two era yeah. um, defensive grids. Um and also, I should mention that uh, the the game was written and created and produced um, through a company called Naughty Dog for the PlayStation by uh, Neil Druckmann, 
And the TV show has been created with Neil Druckmann um, by uh, by Chernobyl's own um, Craig Mazin. Not that he's from Chernobyl, but he did Chernobyl for HBO and won a boatload of Emmys for it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the science of it is always um, fascinating. And then once you have to conjure into three-dimensional space a two-dimensional world, like you've got to build it all. You've got to find yeah. a place to shoot it all. You've got to design everything. You've got to get everything right down to the last clothes that people had ever manufactured. Like, what does that look like? You know, and like there's yeah. lots of people online who are like, well, so they live in a world that never had a Shrek 2? Like, oh my God. <laughs> like pop culture ends in 2003. So like, there's no more albums. There's no more movies. There's no more books. There's none of the things that we know over the last 20 years exist in this world. Um, yeah. And so just figuring out the hollowness of what it feels like without culture, um, at least culture that progresses, you know, it's very much yeah. a, a retro focused show because it kind of has to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, I think that that's, I always talk about this because I'm like, there's so many jobs in this industry that like, usually you watch things and it's like, people are like, I want to be a writer. I want to be a director. I want to be an actor. Um, but th that stuff to me is where I'm like, I love hearing everybody else who works on shows talk about their jobs because you don't get a show like the last of us without having the effects teams and the costumer and hair makeup and you know the music advisors like there's so much stuff that goes into making this show or any show as good as it is and when it's great and everyone's working together you don't notice any of it mm -hmm. and that's the part that i always think is so crazy because it's like it a lot of times those people don't get their flowers because you're just like, oh, I'm just watching the show and it looks really amazing. Um, but you don't ever think about it unless it's bad. And then you notice. Um, <laughs> and I have not felt that way at all about this show. Like mm -hmm. I, every second of it, I am taking in the whole environment. Like you're talking about where it's like, it is really cool to see what would the world actually be like? And then I always think, would I survive? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't imagine I think I'd survive the first wave, but I don't know if I'd keep on surviving after that. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm generally a sharp enough person to be able to figure out you know, like problem A. It's when you get to problem Z or, or even fucking J where you're like, yeah. oh, oh, damn, I don't know what to do about that. Yeah. I just don't, like, I'm not a doomsday prepper at all. I could not be Bill. I could not build, you know, a, a electrified fence with, you know, flame mortars and plungy pits and all of that stuff. No. And you know, I'm like, happy positive optimistic i would want to believe the best in everyone so my brain wouldn't be like how do i fortify my space from anyone coming in here because <laughs> i would be like you can come in just come on like and that was those are the hardest parts when you're watching the show in the first episode when they're driving out of austin and they pass people and joel is like do not stop the car yeah and it's like he literally says that's a kid they have kids and he's like i have a daughter and it's just brutal when you watch that happen because you're like i get what he's saying but like how could you could would i do that how would you, i mean yeah the the right? i mean that is always the uh the the crux of apocalyptic fiction right which is would i be able to survive would i be able to make it out um and i think a, a similarly decent question is what meal Tiffany Smith, would somebody have to cook you in order to get you to stay with them for 20 years? 
<laughs> what's what, what's the like you're at the bottom of a hole and someone is like all right come on in i want to have lunch all right i'll cook you lunch what's oh the, gosh what would it be well what what would you cook somebody oh what would and i then, what would you cook somebody and then what would you want to have them cook for you uh well I would cook breakfast because that's maybe one of the only things I feel like I'm decent at. Like I can cook eggs and bacon and pancakes. And, um, but if I'm talking in the apocalypse, I don't know where I'm getting bacon from. Maybe I could find some chickens, but I don't think I'd be able to slaughter a pig on my own. So so we'd probably have eggs and pancakes. That would be what I would make. Yeah. All right. I mean, you'd have to have cows. In order to get milk, right? You'd be you'd have to be churning butter. No, no. I will have saved those like <laughs> I will have found some of those old, like shaky containers to make pancake mix that you only have to put water in. <laughs> there. <laughs> I got a fridge full of I can't believe it's not butter. It's fine. <laughs> no, those don't have to go in the fridge. The powder mix, they don't have to go in the fridge. Um, <laughs> so I would find those somehow. Um and so then you're, you're making so, breakfast for somebody. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, so what would you, what would you want to have had somebody make you? What's, what's the ideal Tiffany Smith? It's so lame. And I've said it a billion times, but I'm like, I, my favorite meal is a baked potato with cheddar cheese, bacon, butter, maybe a little sour cream or ranch dressing on the side and a black and white milkshake. If they had that, I would stay with them forever. (laughs) Forever. (laughs) Forever. <laughs> and maybe even some of uh, Nick Offerman's Lugaboola, and I would have that. Too. Yeah, a good 20-year <laughs> um, cask-aged scotch. Which, I, again, not a plug. If you have not tried, I, I like whiskey and scotch. He did do a special one with Lugaboola, <laughs> and it is so good. Like, I highly recommend trying it. If you are a Scotch whiskey person, um, I feel like what this is calling for is a special Black Man Beyond episode where we try all of the celebrity boozes. <laughs> like, let's try Sam Hewen's Scotch from Outlander. Let's try <laughs> Nick Offerman's Scotch. Let's get some of that Terramana stuff. Let's get Clooney's, you know, Casamigos. There's there's a raft of like, I'm famous and so I made a thing. <laughs> boozes yeah. there's some that i'm like wow this is like i know that nick offer and i bring up nick offerman because he plays bill on mm-hmm. the episode of last of us Ding-dong. um he is very into um scotch whiskey and stuff and like i remember him posting about isn't there i feel like there's even an episode in oh yeah yeah on parks and Rec. Where he goes right. to the to the Lagavulin distillery. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah. because because Leslie Note sends him there because he thinks that there's nothing in the United Kingdom, there's nothing in Europe worth um worth a damn. Yeah. yeah. So she sends yeah. him on this wonderful little kind of treasure hunt, and the end of which is him just on the Isle of Skye, just like looking out into the horizon, drinking scotch, mm-hmm. reading like Robert Frost or something. <laughs> yeah. He would get along very well. Excellent. Um, okay. What would your meals be? What would you? What would you have had? What would you have cooked for you? Uh, the the meal that I would like to have cooked. It's it's very much like you know the end of the menu, 
which, uh, which, you know, spoilers, if you haven't seen the menu, but make me a great fucking cheeseburger, you know, like I, it, it is at, in, in the, it is less for me, the fancy and more for me, the familiar that yeah. becomes like, I can't get the thing that I want. This is the thing that, you know, that makes me feel emotionally warm and yeah. safe and, and satisfied. So yeah, make me a fucking great cheeseburger. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing that I would cook for somebody um, yeah. would I think require a, the, 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 the slaying of a pig because I make a very good um, pork loin mm. um, rubbed with a bunch of spices and then with like a sweet potato, like a soft sweet potato puree with fucking cinnamon and butter and sugar mm. and all that. And like, just walk a couple of vegetables by the plate and then bring them back out into the, into the yard. Because at that point you don't need vegetables. <laughs> Who are we kidding? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's where I think I go. A, a good spice. Yeah. To, uh, yeah pork loin. Um, but okay. So let's talk about episode three. I mean, the, each of these episodes are very much about introducing you to a world. Right, like episode one introduces you to the world of the of the QZ of the quarantine zone, the world that used to be, and now the world that is. Episode two is about introducing you to both, you know, Boston, larger Boston, and what the apocalypse looks like, and who the zombies and what the zombies are. They give us the rules of the zombies. Um, but episode three is very much about an emotional world. It's very much about um, these two men who just meet on the opposite sides of a fence who over the course of 20 years form a deliriously wonderful life together. Um, you know, it's played by it's Frank and Bill um, Murray Bartlett from, from white Lotus um, and HBO's looking and a bunch of other stuff um, and the great and wonderful Nick Offerman. Um, and it's just their lives together. It is just, the sort of tentative beginnings. It is the, we're getting to know each other. It's the fights that you have when you live with somebody for a decade, which are both petty and large. Um, there are the, we're going to have people over for dinner. What do we do then? And of course the people who come over for dinner are Joel and Tess and how Joel's life interacts with, with Bill who never liked Joel. I do love the fact that they hated each other even, even then. Um, and then, and then ultimately the, the end of their relationship because Frank has a terminal illness, which they don't ever tell us what it is. Um, I mean, I think it's probably cancer, um, if not something, you know, even more um, viral and invasive. Yeah. They don't, it doesn't seem like it's a cordyceps thing. It doesn't seem like he's been infected by the zombie plague. It just seems like it's something, and I don't want to use the word mundane because that's not quite right, but it's something just human, like the yeah. human body failed him in ways that yeah. there was no cure for before the, the apocalypse. And now there's no cure for afterwards. Yeah. And so how do you, how do you choose to live your own life? How do you choose the manner in which you want your life to end? Um, you know, do you choose dignity or, or do you choose the, the natural end of things? And it's, it's heartbreaking. The fact, you know, heartbreaking, but also you a hundred percent understand it. That Frank is like, I don't want to, I don't want to just wither away. I just don't want to be that person. Like, I want to end on my own terms. And so fill this goblet with, with this baggie of crushed up pills and you'll put me to sleep. And, uh, and the last thing that I will see is the man that I love standing over me and, and gently closing my eyes as I, as I pass, like, which is wonderful. And, 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 you know, it is, it is the sweetest romance 
you know, I think somebody said it's like the first 10 minutes of up. But I was just gonna say that. <laughs> it is. It literally is like what I th- I, I remember when I was watching the episode, I like paused it for a minute because I had to take my dog for a walk. Mm-hmm. And I, when I paused it, I was like, please let there be at least 20 minutes left. I don't want this episode to be over. Like yeah. I wanted it to keep going. And I think this episode was it was like an hour and 20 minutes or it's an hour and 20 minutes. minutes. Yeah. It's a it's a long one. Yeah, um, but it I, definitely feels like like you said, it's a short film, you know, it is this love story that when I first started watching the episode, I had no idea what was coming. Um, and I love the fact that it was, it was done in such a way where for the first like quarter of it, I guess I was just nervous the whole time of like, what's this guy going to do? Like, is he going to try and kill Bill? <laughs> kill Bill. Um, is he going to try and steal stuff from him? Like, shocked that bill actually trusted him enough to like let him shower or leave him in a room because i'm thinking like here's this guy who has made an oasis for himself where he feels safe and here's a stranger who he has no idea if he has if he's lying or telling the truth that he is on his own um and lets him come in and then it's like you're showing someone all of the stuff that you have and how life could be if you let him stay there or if he took it from you um, so that was crazy. Cause like the whole beginning, I was just so nervous and on the edge of my seat waiting for, you know, the other shoe to drop and something terrible to happen. Um, and then it ends up being this like beautiful love story and with such great moments. And I, I, it's like thinking about the episode again, how they did so many moments over the years that it felt like you saw their whole relationship, even though it was just in bits and pieces here and there, like, you know, where Joel and them do come and Joel warns them about something. And then that moment comes. And I thought I was like, he's dead. They're going to flash back again. And it's just Frank by himself. And that's when you come back and it's not Frank by himself. Frank is now sick. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was just so, so well done that I never really knew what exactly was coming next. Um, Though I did, I did. I was like, he, at the end, I was like, Bill drank it already. Like he's not gonna he's not gonna stay there by himself. Um no. it is. It was that beautiful thing where he's like, I was here alone and then I now he's like I never that one the strawberry scene and then he's like, I never I was never scared before. Yeah. Um before he met Frank. And then it's like, well now he has something to protect and has something that's wonderful and it's not just him and he wants to keep it and protect it and nourish it. Um and it was like, it literally was one of the best things I've watched on TV in a very long time. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic hour of TV and, and it does impact the Joel storyline, the Joel and Ellie storyline, because it is the object lesson to Joel of, I didn't want to let this person into my life and I did. And it made my life a thousand times better. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Joel, you have to learn to do that. Yep. Um, otherwise, you're going to die alone and sad, and nobody's going to leave the window open for you as your funk just <laughs> emanates from the bedroom. <laughs> the funk of 40,000 years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that those were all things, too, where I was like, it's so crazy when you put together an episode and see the moments that stick with people. I mean, the strawberry moment, and then Nick Offerman's like giggle that he does when they <laughs> taste strawberries for the first time. And the letter, reading the letter out, because again, I watched all the stuff afterwards, but they talk about the fact that there is a letter from Bill to Joel in the game 
Mm-hmm. Uh, oh no, sorry, from Frank. Right. To build. Yes. Um, and it's very different. Things end very differently in the I mean, game. Their relationship in the game is antagonistic. Their relationship in the game is, you know, they had been lovers and they ended badly. Yeah. And and they find Frank having killed himself. Um, and you don't really know the tenor of their relationship. Um, yeah. You know that it was close, but you don't know exactly what it was. And unless you go on a separate thing and you find the gay porno mag that Bill had been keeping. And so you realize, oh, it was a sexual relationship. It's a romantic relationship. Um, but it's a very different interaction between a, those two characters and then Bill and Joel. Um, and yeah. so the, the ability to recontextualize what that is. And have it be not just an obstacle for a, a player in a game to surmount, but actually this deep emotional story that can help turn Joel. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the game, I think we said it at the top, the game, there's 20, 25 hours of gameplay in The Last of Us video game. And that's a long time to get to move a character along an emotional spectrum to carry yeah. him on his emotional journey. The show has nine episodes. That's nine hours and change to do so. And yeah. so how can you light a fire under that emotional trajectory? How can you shift Joel's perspective on everything um, early enough so that when, you know, the bulk of that story happens, when the last two thirds of that story happens, he can be ready to receive it. And this is a great way to do that. Yeah. Well, the other thing too, is that, you know, it got picked up for season two. Mm-hmm. Um, shocker. So <laughs> yeah, happy go figure. Um, but I'm like, I don't like, I don't know where season one ends or how far out they've planned where it's like, how, how many seasons is it to get to the end of the game? Um, yeah. I think Craig Mazin had said that it's a two season show, okay. um, which, which seems ambitious for me in that gate seeming. I the first game is a big game, but I see how you whittle that stuff down. Last of us part two is massive. Um, yeah. And so I don't know how you do that in one season of TV, but you must have a plan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's one of those things where just looking at the three episodes we've seen so far, each one of them, even though it is not like separately episodic, they each one has had a very different feel. The first one was action to me, mm-hmm. like get out of town kind of craziness. The second one was more horror where it was, you know, those scare jumps and um, what's going to happen while they're figuring out. And, you know, Ellie is seeing new kinds of these um, zombies mm-hmm. or um the creatures along the way and then the third one is like this separate vignette story that's telling you about you know how people are surviving during all of this and i do think it's something where it does impact Joel a lot because one from the episode before he loses tess and so even though you haven't heard him like you know they were together and that they had a connection but i didn't you don't really see how strong it is but then stuff happens with Ellie where he's like, don't mention her name. And you know that it it was something that was really close to his heart. And so getting that next to Bill and Frank dying, and then now he's got Ellie with him. So it's like, okay, well, now he has a choice to make again. Does he get even more closed off because he lost the person that he loved? Or is there a way for him to transfer those emotions or actually still let someone else in, even though it could end badly, which it did for him with Tess and his daughter. Yeah. Um, so I definitely think it pushes the story along. And I know like I had a lot of friends that are like, I just feel like I'm more plugged into these two characters, Bill and Frank, than I am with any of the other ones. And I'm like, well, we did get the longest amount of time so far just with them. And, you know, a story that is, that's, 
you get a whole journey with them in this one episode. Um, so I understand, like, I feel like I know them better than I know any of the other characters, but I also think that kind of makes it fun because I don't want to know exact. I, I don't know exactly how Ellie's going to behave in every situation. I don't know how um, Joel is going to behave in every situation, but Frank and Bill, like from that one episode now, I'm like, I know, I feel like I know what they would do because we got to know them so well. And I like that there is a lot of unknown still with the characters that we're going on this journey with. Yeah. I mean, I, I liked it the same way that I liked, I want to say it was the seventh episode of Watchmen, sixth or seventh, the nostalgia episode mm-hmm. where, uh, where, where uh, Regina King um, takes the pill and she gets to relive the life of her ancestor and it's all black and white. And it's all about, yeah. you know, the first black detective on the force. And it's all about the creation of hooded justice. And like, it does not feature for the most part your protagonist. It is not yeah. about Sister Knight. It's about this this deep character in her own backstory um, that does amplify the world, but isn't necessarily about her. And yeah. so to be able to break format w- of your own show and just tell this completely somewhat isolated slice, which does relate to your main protagonist, but isn't about your main protagonist, um, I think is kind of wonderful to have the latitude and the freedom to be able to do that. Um, so I'm here for it like an actor standpoint i'm like they didn't meet until like those two actors that playing bill and frank they didn't meet until they were there shooting Mm -hmm. which like i mean i i do think being an actor you should creating chemistry is sometimes part of the job um but the chemistry that the two of them have in this episode and the whole arc of their story where it's you know they did. I think they said they. it felt like a short film, like they were there longer than you would be for a normal episode, um, just like one hour episode. But it's not a lot of time to like get that close with someone and feel be able to portray that connection the way that I think they did in this episode. I mean, apparently the director's cut was two hours long. Um, so it's like they actually did just make a full on fucking movie yeah. and then had to find a way to cut 40 minutes out of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, I, and I do hope that that, uh, you know, on the back end of all this, once we're all said and done, that they do release at least some extended version of that episode. Yeah. Here's my question for you. Yes. How do you think the rest of the season is going to play out? Like, do you think we're going to get other kind of sliced out stories like this? Or do you think this was a one off? Um, I don't I don't think it's a bit of a I don't think it's a spoiler to say that, um, you know, Joel and his long lost brother will probably find each other again. Um, but then discovering what his brother's version of the last 20 years has been, yeah. you know, to, to, to then also give us some more background to the fireflies and who they are and where they started and how that sort of grassroots rebellion, you know, took shape. It would not surprise me if there's an episode that digs deep into that, yeah. you know, and who they are and what they're about and why they're doing what they're doing and how they got resources, all of that stuff that, the creation of the fireflies and how his brother plays into that, or, you know, has even lost faith with that um, would not surprise me. Um, But there's a lot of little stories to tell. There's a lot of, I mean, in in the game, there's a big paradigm shift that happens about halfway through um, that could also be fascinating if they do it the same way in the show. Um, But no, I have nothing, but I mean, watching the pilot, I was, I was giddy. Like, but I was curious to know what a person who's never played the game and doesn't know what it is 
feels about it because like I know where it's going. So they had me no matter what they did. Yeah. Um, but it is good to hear that a person who has no familiarity whatsoever with the game is like, no, give me more, give me more right I, now. I have no idea where it's going. And it's crazy because I think, you know, we all go through that stuff where it's like, uh, is there like superhero fatigue? Is there video games made into TV shows fatigue? It doesn't necessarily work well. And I'm like, it's not, I don't think it's that we have fatigue. It's because if it's good, you don't care if it was a superhero project or a video game or based off of something else or a reboot because you're just into it. Um, And this is one of those ones where it's like, everything seems to be working really well and just right to make people who played the game enjoy it and have those Easter eggs in there and people who have no idea or have a very slight knowledge of the game um, to really enjoy the show too. Yeah. I mean, to your point, like, there's you know what was thor ragnarok was what like the 19th marvel movie yeah. or whatever it's like but if you make a good one if you make it good we'll we'll be there for it you know yep. like i'm i'm predisposed to like genre stuff but like i've seen enough bad genre stuff to be like i don't have to so like if you if you do it well i'm here for it i'm here mm-hmm. for it um mm-hmm. all right so i think uh suffice to say I'm a fan of Last of Us. It seems like Tiffany is a fan of Last of Us. We will yeah. um, both be watching every Sunday night, um, you know, barring, um, I don't know, sprained ankles or or, uh, <laughs> or or being airlifted to a different part of the country without yeah. access to my cable um, or my HBO Max. Um, but before you go, and I know that you have to bounce in about 10 minutes, um, yeah. what... What was your um, impression as, uh, about the the unspooling of the DC um, mm-hmm. new slate? Because in case you know you're you've been living under a, a nerd rock for the last week or so, um, yesterday um, James Gunn took to the internet and then took to the press, and they had a big event at, at uh, DC headquarters here in Burbank, California, and he he unveiled at least the first wave of the, the the future of the DC universe, both in TV, um, animation, live action, television, and live action feature films. Um, and it's ambitious. It's got things that were somewhat obvious, things we already knew, and then things a little head scratchy. Um, not in bad ways, but just really? Um, what did, uh, how did you feel generally about what, uh, what Mr. Gunn had to say? Generally, I am really excited. Um, I think that when you get someone like James Gunn coming in and doing it, it's kind of like, okay, well, what is he going to do to put his stamp on it? What kind of director creator is he? And the fact that this is gods and monsters and he is great at doing kind of the more obscure characters and horror kind of stuff as well. um, It seems like the most perfect fit. And yeah, I mean, I think no matter what he would have said, it's going to be a big swing because he had to come in with, you know, him and Peter Safran had to come in with something because everyone was waiting with bated geeky breath to see what they were going to do and say. Um, so to me, it's like, I, I literally, I just feel excited because I'm like, there's, there's characters that people don't know about. There's characters that no one has in it, not no one, that a lot of people don't have a preconceived idea of who these characters exactly are. Say, you know, we've seen, Superman, Batman, and yes, they are doing a Superman. Um, But there's these other stories where I think that there is a lot more flexibility, where even what we saw with Peacemaker, like Peacemaker isn't exactly like the comic, 
but because it's a more obscure character, people got really into the show just because it was a different space and you kind of like allow more changes on it because it's not Superman that you know exactly how he's supposed to behave all the time. Um, so I'm really excited about all the stuff that's coming. Um, I also think it's one of those things where now we have all these things that have come out and they said it's in eight to 10 years. So like, <laughs> we have a long time until this stuff actually is all um, rolling. And the last four, is it four? Four films still to come out? Yeah, you get Shazam 2, Aquaman 2, um, Flash, Flash Joint and Blue Beetle. Yeah. Flash Point, not Flash Joint. That's a totally <laughs> different movie. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I too am cautiously optimistic um, because like there, there's always a way for a movie to be not great, but there's similarly always a way for a movie to be amazing. And the thing that was most um, encouraging to me is that uh, James and, and Peter Safran, you know, said, we realize that the problem with these movies is very often that the scripts are not ready before they announce a release date. And so sometimes you're making it up as you go by the time you get to your third act. And so we're not going to greenlight anything until the script is right. We're not going to, you know, bring on, you know, all of the people we need to like the 200 some odd people it takes to make a movie. We're not hiring anybody until we know the story's right and the script is right. And so that, that level of commitment to, you know, what is ultimately the, the ultimately the blueprint, like you can't do a good movie without a good script. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I won't say it's impossible, but at this level, yeah, it kind of is, you know, like, sure, there are always the stories of like Casablanca was kind of written on the fly, like, you know, sending in pages here and there. And it's like, yeah, well, we're, we're on a set, <laughs> you know. And it's, it's also not building a connected universe right, where you, you have eight to 10 years of films that you're maybe building to something we don't know, um, where how does this fit with this one? How does this not fit in with this one? Um I think right. that was also something that I think is like an easy, which growing up reading comic books, I'm like, there's Elseworld stuff. So it never felt weird to me having different universes in comics mm-hmm. and characters. So that made complete sense to me that they're saying that some of the films are going to be Elseworlds and they'll be labeled as that. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's, it's, we have a plan and there is a strategy. You know, and the fact that, again, like that plan was conceived, not just by, you know, James and and Peter, but by a, a, they put together a writer's room to help build out what this universe could feel and look like. And so, you know, there's a roadmap that they have to follow. They're not sharing with everybody, nor should they. Um, But all of that stuff is, uh, is encouraging, to say the least. Now, we'll see who they start hiring to do this stuff. We'll see how much James is going to do himself. He's definitely doing Superman himself and he's already written creature commandos, their first animated show under the gods and monsters thing. And, you know, he's already expressed some affection for some of these other characters, but then we'll see the other people that he invites um, into the, into the playground to play with these toys. I mean, I think, and I also think it's cool that with creature commandos, he said that they're going to do, try to do voice and live action Mm -hmm. actors crossing over which i think is interesting and cool and you always you know people like even going back to the last of us where it's like troy baker um and oh my gosh why am i like ashley um who play the two leads in the game where it's like everyone was so attached to them as those characters but for like reasons where it's like ashley's not young enough to be the 14 year old girl anymore (laughs) but they're both i believe 
cast in the show. I don't, we don't know what roles that they're in. Um, so there is that thing where it's like when people get attached to someone playing a role, whether it's voice or in a video game, then getting to see them on screen as that character too. Um, I'm curious to see how that all plays out. Cause I think even they're doing it in Star Trek where it's like they took um, characters from Lower Decks that are going to cross over into Strange New Worlds episode. Yeah, uh, like Jack Quaid, you know, yeah. specifically. It's definitely going between the two. And yeah, that's super fun. If you can pull it off, like it's 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 a heavy lift, but if you can pull it off, that's that's neat. Yeah. That's neat. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have to bid uh, Miss Tiffany Smith a fond adieu um, as she has got to go off and like fight crime. <laughs> no, I can, I can say. So I am leaving because I booked a thriller um, mm. and I start filming in a couple of days here. Um, <laughs> so for the life of an actor, it's very fast turnaround. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. It's with the same producers, um, Fade to Black, that I did Aloha with Love. Mm. And this one, um, like I said, it's a thriller. So I get to possibly do some stunty badassness and i'm excited about that do they know you can ride a motorcycle they do <laughs> oh I, told I'm like, I don't think i'm riding a motorcycle like this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well thank you for spending uh, an hour out of your precious like last couple of days of prep with us to talk about nerd shit uh always i'm so happy to do it yay well thank you tiffany and best of luck um, thrilling and chilling wherever you're going to go and do that. I'm sure you'll be fabulous because you're never anything less than. Um, and we'll see you when you get back. Sounds good. Bye, everybody. Okay. Bye. Uh, all right. Now that she's gone. <laughs> um, no, we're uh, we're gonna we're gonna run down the stuff that they announced. Um from the DC, you know, that's not it. Like, we're not just saying peace out. That's been it for this episode of Black Man Beyond. Now we're gonna talk a little bit about um, all of the things that they announced. Um, and by they, I mean, James Gunn. Um, so uh, so overall, the plan is is two movies a year, um, two series for H and two series for HBO Max in what is gonna be like an eight to 10 year plan. And what they revealed was not the entirety of that plan, I think, or at the very least, you know, portion of this gods and monsters phase is going to spill out between 2025 and 2027 so we have a ways to wait before we get to see um all of this joy um the writer's room that i said that they assembled includes you know gun and saffron um and then christina hodson um jeremy slater drew goddard crystal henry and tom king comic book writer tom king um and they've all done, you know, things great and small. Um, Jeremy Slater was um, one of the people who developed um, Umbrella Academy. Um, he was uh, on board for Moon Knight. Christine Hudson did the Bumblebee movie and a bunch of other stuff that's that's just terrific. Drew Goddard, Cabin in the Woods, Buffy, Angel. Um, um, what was the name of that hotel movie that he did that I cannot remember the name of, which I also, I, I quite liked. Um, and wrote and was Oscar nominated for The Martian. Um, Crystal Henry, who was on Watchmen, and Tom King. We know who Tom King is because, you know, we're all those guys. Um, so let's go through what they're doing. And th these are all happening after um, the four movies that they have already, as we talked about, Shazam, um, Flash, and then um, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, and then uh, Blue Beetle. Here we go. Creature Commandos. Um, is uh, is first out of the gate. Um, James Gunn has written every episode of this. Apparently, it's done. 
Um, it's animation. Um, Creature Commandos is comprised of military superhumans, including a human leader, werewolf, vampire, Frankenstein's monster, and a gorgon. Um, so like, you know, Dirty Dozen meets Clash of the Titans meets, you know, um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen a bit. Um, Waller, which we also already knew about. Um, and James had, had hinted that he wrote, you know, all or most of um, a new DC thing. He, he hinted at that a while ago, and that clearly was Creature Commandos. Um, Waller, starring Viola Davis, um, is an HBO Max live action series spinning out of Peacemaker. Um, Superman Legacy, which is the Superman movie that, uh, that James has been um, writing, which he announced that he was doing already. Um, uh, according to, to Peter Safran, this is really the start of the DCU. Um, it's not an origin story. It focuses on Superman's balancing his Kryptonian heritage with his human upbringing. He's the embodiment of truth, justice in the American way. He's his kindness in a world that thinks of kindness as old fashioned. Um, there's no director attached, but of course, you know, uh, there's always the chance that the guy who wrote the script could direct the movie. Um, and there's no casting, you know, I think for, for any of this stuff other than um, Waller. Um, Lanterns. An HBO Max live action series. Um, our vision for this is true detective, Saffron says. It's terrestrial base. He's, it's got two of our favorite Green Lanterns, Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart. Um, and it plays a really big role in the main story that we're telling across film and TV. Um, and it is different from the one that Greg Berlanti has had in the works um, that has been in development for the past year, if not longer. Um, that one was a space opera that was like out in the, in the, in the hinterlands of the cosmos where this one is going to be clearly it's set on earth. Um, this is the one that's getting me excited. And um, it's because it's, it's the comic book. Like, cause I, all right, I'm going to rewind a little bit. It's a comic fan. When I was in like elementary school, junior high and top of high school. Um, and then it got a little expensive. I, I was uh, the X-Men had done like nine crossovers in a row. Um, these sort of multi-title arcs. Um, I think this one was Extinction Agenda was the last one that I read. And it kind of just soured me on comics. There was too much to read. There was too many books I had to buy in order to get the complete story. It was, it felt almost abusive in that way. And I sort of parted ways with comics for a long time, like middle of high school, um, throughout college. Um, I didn't really collect it and really buy, like I might've gone back and read some of my old stuff, but I wasn't engaging in the new um, very much at all. Um, when I got my first job, after college at a science fiction magazine called Star Love. And, um, and they used to get um, uh, the comp box, like every, every, um, every publisher, and by every, I mean Marvel and DC, for the most part would send the big box of comics, um, one of everything that they did that particular month. It would go to various press places, and there were not a ton of places at the time that were covering comics. So it would have been you know, I'm sure there was a, a writer at like the New York Times. I'm sure there was somebody at Time Magazine, you know, but Starlog was a pretty big, you know, geek um, monthly magazine at the time. And so my editor, uh, Dave McDonald, got this box from Marvel and DC every month and he would pull out the ones that he want, wanted. And then, you know, it's it would then go down the, the, the hierarchy of who could then pick from the litter next. And from one of those boxes, I picked out, um, I, I want to say it was like authority number two. Um, and it was, you know, Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch, and it was, it was billed as, you know, widescreen, uh, comics, like everything was, was about scale. It was all about action and, and big fleets of ships and giant swarms of bad guys and, and, and heroes that were, 
able to like you know apollo had the power of the sun and so he could just scorch things and jenny sparks had like like it was it was just big it was big in a way that that i hadn't quite experienced in comics before and it was that book that kind of brought me back into reading comics um the authority was a wildstorm book before wildstorm got incorporated into dc um and i loved it to death um it, it made me a fan of of both comics again of superhero comics again of warren ellis um who uh, who i followed from book to book to book to book to book um and i and i actually got to write the authority um for for a little bit there before um before wildstorm kind of collapsed in on itself a little bit um and so i have a super soft spot in my heart for the authority and that is one of the movies it's, it's going to be a big feature um that they have planned um according to to james like there's a great wildstorm characters were popular for a long time and we're incorporating them into the dcu um he loves the property because it's a mix of anti-heroes who take matters into their own hands despite what governments advise um and so that's the one that's the one that i'm super excited about um I've loved that book for a long time to get to see it at that scale, to get to see it in the sort of blockbustery format that it was always intended to be. Um, and then to be able to thumb its nose a little bit at the, the, uh, the DC status quo. Um, you know, they were never quite as outrageous as the boys were, um, you know, uh, although, you know, Garth Ennis did have his time writing the authority, um, which did take it into a dirtier path than, uh, than even Warren Ellis did. Um, but, uh, but I just think that, that those characters are so sharp and they're acerbic and they, and they, they do, th th there is a bit of anarchy to them, which is always fun in a superhero construct. Um, so yes, the authority is coming. Um, Paradise Lost is an HBO Max live action series, which is, you know, as they describe it, Game of Thrones on Themyscira. Um, the drama is really about the political intrigue behind the society of all women. How did that come about? What's the beautiful truth, the ugly truth behind all that? And what's the scheming like between power players in that society? Um, and it takes place before the birth of Diana of Themyscira. So even though it would be about a bunch of wonder women, there is going to be no wonder woman, unless I suppose at some point you can always catch up with that. Um, and there can be a season finale where the new child is born on an island where presumably there are not a ton of children. Um, then you finally get your Batman. Um, the Brave and the Bold uh, as a movie, um, and this is this is the the DCU version of Batman, um, which is different entirely from the one that that Matt Reeves is doing. Um, this will feature Batman and his son Damian Wayne as Robin, who, is, according to, to to James Gunn, is a little son of a bitch, um, assassin, murderer, um, and Batman takes him in. Um, who who doesn't know that Batman he's Batman's actual son or doesn't know that Batman exists for the first 10 years of his life. Um and it's based on Grant Morrison's run on Batman. And you know, as Tiffany said, the Matt Reeves Batman is going to exist now in an Elseworlds um silo, along with uh, the Joker movies. Um so so yes, we will have more than one Batman, um, which is actually kind of fascinating. And I don't know how that will dovetail with whatever post-credit whatever cameo stuff they shot for the flash um there will be a version where yeah we're going to see two different batman on the same screens under the same dc logo um you know uh, matt reeves batman 2 is going to be out october 3rd 2025 with robert pattinson um and but they are going to cast a new guy um to be the batman for brave and the bold um and they did not mention ben affleck 
other than as a director at some point for some film in the in this new DCU. Um, Booster Gold is going to be an HBO Max uh, TV series. Um, it's about a loser from the future. He uses future technology to come back and pretend to be a superhero. Um, Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow as a, as a big old feature based on Tom King's um, very recent comic series. I think it's, if it hasn't just ended, it's just wrapping up. Um, uh, in our series, says... Um, either Gunnar Saffron, not sure where this quote is from. Um, we see the difference between Superman who was sent to Earth and raised by loving parents from the time he was an infant um, versus Supergirl who was raised on a rock, a chip off of Krypton and watched everyone around her die and be killed in terrible ways for the first 14 years of her life. And then she comes to Earth when she's a young girl. Um, she's much more hardcore and definitely not the Supergirl that we're used to seeing. And then um, finally, uh, Swamp Thing as a, as a feature. Um, and, and even after, like, James Gunn unspooled all of this stuff um, yesterday, and then today the news broke that James Mangold, coming off of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, who did Logan, um, is interested in doing Swamp Thing. Um, I mean, there's no deal yet, but there's an offer, apparently, on the table. Um, and that Mangold has been a big fan of Swamp Thing, and he's been chasing a feature for a while. Um, according to uh, the... According to Gunn and Saffron, there are some rules according in their universe. Anyone cast on the DC TV side as a character will also play their character on the film side. And no one actor will play two parts. Hence, uh, Jason Momoa is Aquaman and will always be Aquaman, I guess, maybe. But he won't be Lobo. He won't be Lobo as well. Um, and, uh, and apparently the, the Warner Brothers Discovery investment is huge. Um, there's no question that they have the resources. Um, they're going to put these scripts together, get their directors, and then discuss with with um, David Zaslav, who's the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, what the appropriate spend is on each one of these movies. Uh, and uh, and Saffron says he has zero doubt that they will commit the appropriate funds on each one. Um, the stakes are high, uh, and it's a it was a brand in crisis. And this is an opportunity to build an extraordinary standalone studio with the best IP and the best stories in the world. Um, so that's it. That's that's what we're getting in the immediate future. Um, this is this is kind of what it looks like. Um, I'm I'm like I said, cautiously optimistic. I'm, and there's there's characters that people know and love and recognize, um, namely Superman and Batman um, and Robin. Um, and then there's the the left field stuff that that might not be, um, if not popular. Like I don't know how many people these days give that much of a hoot about Swamp Thing. It's a great character, but you know, even though they have the CW series, which, which I actually found pretty strong, um, that got canceled after one season. Oh no, that was DC Universe thing. And then it went to the CW, that's right. Um, you know, so there's the characters that everybody knows, the characters somebody have, people do have some slight familiarity with that have been, movies have been made about before. And there's stuff like The Authority, you know, that, uh, that is a complete left field choice but it's one that I kind of love because those characters are so great and those stories are so fun. Um, so that is all the DC news that's fit to print about the new stuff. Um, there are a couple of, you know, I guess, bookends to it or new stories that broke simultaneously or just before, or just after that. Uh, there are a couple of DC things that won't be continuing at HBO max. Um, Titans, doom patrol and Pennyworth um, are all wrapping up after their current seasons. Um, 
we're going to get, uh, you know, the conclusions of seasons four on, on Titans and Doom Patrol. They have their second halves of the fourth seasons to come up and there'll be final chapters. And apparently they've been crafted to give the series a, a real ending. And then Pennyworth just aired its third season and that will be the end of that particular run. And that's uh, a lot of DC news. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, like I said with Tiffany, like it's encouraging to me that, that James, as a writer, as a writer-director, as a storyteller, understands that without the stories, it's hard to build a universe. It's hard to have all these things connect in ways that are meaningful. It's hard to, I mean, even make a single movie without a script that's right, let alone a universe, let alone a series of movies that have to inter interconnect and TV shows. It's a, it's a very complex task to do. And the only way to do it is to be able to be clear that these scripts are as ready as they possibly can be before you spend the money and shoot them. Um, so the fact that writers are, are at the high of his list um, is encouraging to me. And I root for everybody to win. I don't want anybody to lose. And so I think DC has been on its back heels for about a decade now of, uh, of, of maybe not the best versions of what they have, what they could have had. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's hurting cats to a certain degree. And, and at least now they've decided to hurt dogs. Um, so which, you know, again, not easy, but still, dogs listen. <laughs> um, so that is almost it for the news. Um, there was one last postscript um, that I wanted to talk about, and that is um, the actress Annie Wershing, um, who uh, was on TV shows like 24 and Timeless. Um, she was on The Rookie, and she was the Borg Queen in the second season of Star Trek Picard, has, a, has passed away. She died of cancer. Um, at 45 years old um, earlier this week. Um, she, you know, a connection to our previous conversation. She was the original voice of Tess in The Last of Us um, video game, the character that is now played by, uh, by Anna Torv. Um, you know, I, I never got to meet her, although I did work on, on Picard season two, um, but I do know a bunch of people who were on that show. I do know a bunch of people who were on other shows that she was on who never had a bad thing to say about her. Um, uh, she was incredibly well-liked. She was a terrific performer. Um, and it, it sounds by all reports that she'll be desperately missed, not just by her family, um, but by, you know, an audience that had embraced her for, you know, almost 20 years. Um, so yes, pour one out for, uh, for Annie Wershing. Um, too soon, far too soon. Um, and I think that is that is that is all we have. I, I don't know, JC, Bathman, do we have some questions from the QA from the from the from the the good fellas and ladies and all the in betweensies? Yeah, we can do some uh we can do some show uh some questions that I've cool. collected how, throughout. How, how are you, JC? We didn't even get a chance to talk at the top of uh, uh I'm good. I took a trip to the east coast last week mm -hmm. um i lived in hoboken new jersey once upon a time 20 years ago oh has it changed it's uh it's funny it's almost exactly the same except completely different like blockbuster <laughs> video is now an anthropology and like you know the old mom and pop pizza shop is now a shake shack Mm -hmm. uh, but they're all in the old buildings. So that was super interesting. Uh, but it was a good, uh, it was a good fun trip. I was also at Sundance, 
I saw some people being like, there hasn't been a show in three weeks. It's like, well, I haven't been home for two of them. Um, And uh, I was surprised at how much I didn't like Sundance. Really? It was just, it just felt like chaos. Uh, Just chaos. (laughs) And, And everybody at Sundance is from Los Angeles, but like not, not the Los Angeles that I spend time with. So that's a nice way of saying it. So, uh, yeah, it's been, things are good though. Things are, Sorry. things have been good. I got, um, my mother-in-law, even though we're not married cause of pandemic, but mother-in-law, uh, came down from upstate New York and we took, um, Jocelyn into New York city to FAO Schwartz, which they've oh reopened goodness rockefeller and she's never been to a toy store uh so that was like pure joy you know you go to (laughs) target but it's not the same as like going to toys r us like you have to walk through all the so we just let her run around three floors of fao schwartz which was just fantastic wow that was a highlight you got her out of there (laughs) yeah highlight of my trip (laughs) was was that outstanding yeah, I haven't I haven't been up to, to that much. I haven't traveled anywhere or done much of anything other than work, um, you know. And as as per usual, it's on things that I can't talk about yet, only because it's not in my purview to say what those things are. Um, uh, when when information can be spilled, I'm sure that they will be spilled right here. Um, one of the things I think Kevin has mentioned, we are doing together, um, which is super fun, um, as always. Uh, but yeah, it's been it's been busy, but good busy. Um, you know, slowly still trying to get myself back out into the world in, in real ways. Um, and hopefully, I mean, it's been it's been a long time since I've been to the cantina. I was thinking about that the other day. I kind of miss it. I miss I miss the cantina. I miss- Ooh, I can say something. Maybe I can say something here. Gosh, I don't know if I can. I'll say. S- uh, let's see what I can say. Uh, we are going to be redoing our front little room and making it leaning into the star trek of things more in our front Mm -hmm. room because march is going to be star trek month at scum and villainy interesting and i I believe we are going to be doing an official star trek event in in the month of march so we're gonna we're we're uh, we're doing some upgrades, getting ready for um, for this cool thing in March. Ooh, I, I can't so wait. if you're planning a trip and you like Star Trek, um, and I guess also in February there's a Star Trek cruise that's leaving from Long Beach, and there's <laughs> there's like this whole group of Star Trek people who are flying into LA to go to the cruise. And I got added to their Facebook group because they're all going to come to scum and villainy the night before the cruise leaves in costume. Oh my goodness. Oh, it, excellent. It's the coolest Facebook group I've seen in a long time. Cause I've got people being like, are there gyms on what deck? Cause it's all decks, right? Cause it's a cruise. <laughs> so what deck are you staying at? And they're like, what deck is the, do you think the gym's going to be on? I need to go and check out the Vulcans pumping iron. Because I guess they 
they just go on this boat, the ship. We shouldn't call it a boat. It's a ship. Mm. And and they they just stay in character. Like people just are Vulcan for five days or whatever it is. It seems so awesome. I'm so excited. They're all coming in February 23rd, which is a Thursday, if people want to come and have an awesome Star Trek time. I mean, it seems as if they're doing what Star Wars tried to do with an immersive hotel on a hundredth of the budget. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, imagination, you guys. <laughs> we'll just be in costume the whole time. This is a starship now. Oh, it's so much it's so much fun just like being a voyeur into that world. It's so much fun. Uh, so yeah, you'll definitely if you don't make it out this month, you'll have to swing down for um, for Star Trek month. Drinks Whoa. and foods and decor, all that sort of good stuff. Oh, I can't wait. Um, and then my only other the only other brag I want to throw out there is. Uh, Last I checked, my actors roundtable had over four and a half million YouTube views, which is pretty wow. crazy. I mean, it's a good thing you got like two percent of the revenue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got points. You got points on it. Sure, sure. <laughs> the amount of work that went into that thing, I, I made about six bucks an hour. But uh, nice. But a lot of people. Nickel saw of you, it. right? Nickel of, of you. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people saw it. A lot of people enjoyed it. Um. And if it helps uh, short round bring home some trophies, it's I'll take that as a win. Oh hell yeah, that is that is my deep and abiding hope is that Kihui Kwan gets to go on that stage and give the speech that makes everybody cry. I uh, I heard that they were doing, and I can't remember where I heard it. Indiana Jones five reshoots, mm-hmm. and my my hope is you know Indiana Jones is in New York. Short round wears a Brooklyn Giants hat, I think, or a New York Giants baseball mm-hmm. hat in Temple of Doom. My hope is that the reshoots are Indy going at the beginning of the movie. He went to some rando place, and I hope they're reshooting it to have him go to like some bookstore that Short Round owns, and Short Round sends him off on his quest. That would be... How, please, please don't make the same mistake. Give us short round. Don't, don't I mean, pull a how Force do you Awakens. Not? How, like, in, it, right now, this day and age, how do you not do that? The amount of goodwill there is, you know, for that dude, for that role, you know, for, for you know, his Golden Globe speech talking about how Spielberg gave him his very first job and look, they're both here today. Like, how do you not just, you know, break off a couple of days and put him in that movie and close that circle? Yeah, just let him hug on screen or something, and and yeah. then shake and hands then like the movie happens. But yeah, that would be now. I want it. Make that happen, please, Disney. <laughs> Spare no expense. Oh, all right. Do we have questions? We've got questions that people wanted answered. Um, I'm gonna. I don't. I don't, I'm not going to venture a guess on this, but uh, Phil P said, what three movies would you make mandatory viewing during Black History Month for schools? Three movies mandatory for Black History Month for kids. Um, I'm going to interpret that as kids and not... Uh, yeah, some, I, let's you know, say 
pre pre high school high maybe pre-high beginning school. of high school pre high school um i think i would choose um Aquila and the Bee um which is a fantastic little movie about a kid who can spell very well um starring Kiki Palmer in her first ever movie um it's just it's wonderful it's sweet it's glorious it's joyous it's all it's all of those things um i'm going to avoid um i'm going to avoid like a straight up slavery movie because i don't know how helpful or instructive that is to black kids but i will say um glory i would put on that list it's slavery adjacent um but i think it's 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 very much about a part of, uh, of our history that does not get talked about nearly enough, um, which is the black soldiers who fought for the, the, the union in the, in the civil war. I watched uh, glory. They showed it to us. I think my freshman year of high school, maybe it was either my freshman or junior year. And I just remember being like blown away by how yeah. amazing that movie is. I mean, it's, it's, it's so great. It's so great, despite the fact that the movie is ostensibly about Matthew Broderick's character, who is kind of boring as shit. Um, <laughs> you know, like that's the the focus is is slightly off. But you know, between Morgan Freeman and Andre Brower and Denzel Washington, like there's there's so much power in that cast. Um, so I think I would do that one, um, and. Um, there's, there's this, I'm torn. I'm torn between the documentary about Motown, um, about Barry Gordy and the creation of the Motown record label and the system of it, which is, you know, it is this, this wonderful document about the creation of possibly the greatest music label that has ever music labeled. Um, you know, as somebody told me, and I think I mentioned on the podcast when I, mentioned to Kev that I watched a couple weeks ago, the last time that the most popular thing was also the best thing. Um, um, and The Wiz. I think The Wiz is like this wonderful, joyous version. I mean, it's the Black Wizard of Oz. It's, it's you know, Diana Ross as Dorothy. It's Michael Jackson as, as the, the Scarecrow. It's the music is fantastic. The, you know, the yellow big road going through Detroit, like, it was also a Motown movie, hence the Detroit of it all. Um, but I think there's, there's yes, there's history to be taught, but there's also the as much as you can get of the totality of that sort of African-American experience. And so getting something that's just kind of fun and light and musical and entertaining, in addition to the history of glory, in addition to just the kid story of Akil and the Bee, um, I think I think if you had to pick three, those are not bad threes. There's a plenty of others, but you know I quite like the the, the Queen of Cotway. Um, this uh, this Disney movie about chess, about this this you know, and I think I think it was like David Oyelowo and Lupita Nyong'o are both in that movie, um, but it's about a chess prodigy that comes from one of the poorest places in Africa, who just you know through fucking brilliance and ingenuity and 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 grit rises from uh from the life she led into the life she wanted so but there's plenty of those but those three are not bad start with those three and if you burn through those come back 
There's um there's a few people in chat throwing out hidden figures, which I thought was, mm. was awesome. Yeah, I mean it's I love that movie. I was just watching it the other day. I caught it on FX. Um, you know the the trick is always like finding the the black stories that are not history lessons, because all too often it seems like those are the ones that people want to tell. Because it's like oh we found this nugget of history. Okay, great, we can do it then. Why? Because it's space race. Or this thing, but it's finding like I would recommend Attack the Block, um, which you know I love to death, but I'm not sure if like a nine year old should be watching <laughs> yeah. Attack the Block. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit intense. Um, all right, fine question. Uh, Neuromorph wanted to know what retail store would you go to for your apocalypse gear up? So we watch Nick Offerman go to Home Depot. Mm-hmm. Where would you go? I mean, you know, the temptation is to say like, you know, Home Depot or Lowe's. Um, I feel like, you know, Walmart probably ought to be on that list because then you can get guns um, in addition to, you know, plywood <laughs> and, and zip ties and, and rotary saws and shit. Um, I mean, I think I think that's, you know. I mean, there's like a Sam's Club or a Costco. I guess you can get a decent shotgun at a Costco, which is the weirdest thing to say, but I guess you can. But I think I'm going to stick with Walmart. I think I think it's the it's the giant big box retailer, because um, then you can get like the generators that you need. You can get the fridge. You can get the guns. You can get food. You can get canned goods. Like all the stuff that you can't get at at, at a Lowe's or a Home Depot, you can then get at a Walmart. In addition to most of the things you can get from a Lowe's or a Home Depot. Um, like all the know, beef jerky, <laughs> all of the fucking beef jerky, all of the clothes that you could need, all of the canned foods you could need, like batteries and, you know, yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think it's probably Walmart, you know, and like, I mean, I don't know, Lowe's has a gardening section. It's like, you can buy like a fruit tree or two and get seeds and shit, <laughs> but, but yeah, it's the, it's the deep freeze. It's like, well, how much meat you got frozen? <laughs> <laughs> If I got to fill a shitty blue and white Ford pickup, uh, I think that's where I'm going. Uh, yeah, I think that I think you got to lean into Walmart if you're not going to the hardware store. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're not going to get everything you can get at a Walmart. I mean, at a, at, a, at a Lowe's, but you can get a lot of those things. The uh, last question, Anthony Placini, Pla, Placencia. Uh, if you could have any movie or movie series in history turned into a great version of a video game, what would you pick? So Last mm. of Us has been turned into a great show. What movie, right. like, we all know the story of E.T. and the Atari, mm. where it was like the worst game of all time and they just buried all those copies. Which did yeah. you see? Some guy went out, I think during the pandemic, and he found them. Like he, I mean, I I know there was a documentary. I know that that um, that uh, that yeah, there was a documentary. And God, I want to say it's like ten years old at this point, where they did find one of those like the burn pits that they put <laughs> fucking just mountains of of twenty six hundred cartridges in. Um, but hell, it would not surprise me that there was way more than one of those because <laughs> I'm sure they printed. You know, this is going to be huge. It's ET, you guys. It's going to be massive. 100,000 cartridges, 200,000 <laughs> cartridges. We got to print them. 
Um, okay, so what movie slash TV show would I think would make a great game um, that has not already been made into a game? Or um, uh, not a good game. Not a good say. game. Um, you know, they, they, they try all the time with Tron. I'm not even entirely sure that Tron would make for a great game, um, even though it's kind of supposed to be. Um, and I don't know... I mean, fucking Lone Wolf and Cub would actually be a great game. Um, I wonder if Ghost of Tsushima can be like a, a sort of test bed, a proof of concept that a sort of samurai, you know, samurai escorting his son on a quest for revenge and killing all of the people who were between him and salvation. Um, who had something to do with the death of his wife. Like it's a clean story. It's samurai action. It's got a cute kid. Um, that could be fun. And it's, I mean, the, the manga that it's based on is, is phenomenal. And it, there's like 30 volumes of it. So you got nothing but, but road roadmaps for that. Um, you know, I think, uh, the warriors could be cool. Did they ever make a warriors game? Um, oh, maybe it feels like something that somebody would have taken a run at, at some point, but just like, Oh, we got all of these tribes and they're all going to war, you know, let's fucking, you know, it could just be like a Mortal Kombat kind of game. It could just be like a fighting, fighting button mashy. Just have the, you know, um, that could be super fun. Um, I mean, they keep trying Road Warrior games. Like I remember seeing a Mad Max game around the time the Fury Road came out. Um, I don't know if it was any good or not, but it always has like promise of being good. You know, like, all right, here's our road combat. Here's our, you know post-apocalyptic installation combat here's our hand-to-hand gun stuff scavenging for supplies um yeah i mean i think i gotta i gotta and i've never seen i know they they have made like pinball machines and i'm sure there are some like mobile games for game of thrones oh but that also feels like the sort of thing where like yeah like do that in that world you know that eventually opens up to include like, you know, the prequel stuff where you get to ride fucking dragons and shit. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely like an elder scrolls version of that. Uh, that's just the world is huge. You can kind of open world it, but there's still a quest for you to follow and still goals for you to achieve. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think, I think if I have to choose, I have to choose two, I'll choose uh, uh, Long wolf and cub or game of Thrones. I think mine would be, and I'm going to kind of cheat, and there may be a decent game, but nothing that was just like incredible, would be, um, well, one, I think like if you just took Seinfeld and made it open world, like you just go out and explore, like the the show about nothing, the game about nothing. Um, and it, it, it's just like a ton of mini quests, like stupid stuff, like, you know. Kramer took Jerry's shoes and you got to get them back. But um, I'm surprised they never did like the Sims Seinfeld edition. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but I would love to see, I, they've never done a movie or a TV show, but I would love to see, they did a comic book, which was GI Joe Transformers crossover. And I mm. think that that would be an awesome video game. Where you re- like you start on Cybertron and you come down 
you know, you follow like Optimus Prime down to Earth and then you team up with G.I. Joe and have to fight Cobra. And I think that would be so much, so much fun. Also, because I used to love playing Rock Band, how much fun would it be to get an actual like Guns N' Roses video, the video game where you're like (laughs) Axl Rose young axel rose in like the middle of nowhere indiana and you've got to like steal from shops to get enough money to get the bus ticket to la and then all the stuff that could happen on the bus and then you get to la and you got to form the band and it's kind of like a like a a game but then you've got to like play guitar and sing so like you can bring out your bust out your rock band stuff when you get to like auditions and stuff and then the band breaks up and like you do this weird thing for some some levels and then you have to get slash like get slash and duff and everybody back in the band so like you know you can pay your rent in malibu i i love the like grand theft auto meets rock band version (laughs) (laughs) i think that would be so fun you know, and I also think that, the, you know, it's been a long time since they had a good reason for you to buy giant kits of cheap plastic <laughs> instruments at a premium. Like, I got to buy the drum set if I'm going to play rock band. Well, I got to buy a, two guitars and a microphone because we got to be a band. And that'd be fun. Oh, my God. The number of nights that I would, like, go out with friends and be like, we're all going back to my house. And we all had a little bit too much to drink. We had a little, still had a little bit too much to drink in the fridge at home, and we would just play <laughs> rock band and be rock stars all night long, and then wake up and be like, "Why did we do that?" <laughs> the next morning, it's so much fun. Yeah, the, the the early days of communal video gaming, where uh, it was a heady time, where like <laughs> I'd go to a friend's house who had a projector set up. And we would play Halo on his like living room wall. Mm-hmm. And so it was just the four boxes and like you're just there staring at the fucking wall for hours to the point where your eyes don't work right anymore. And you close your eyes and there's still like life meters and ammo <laughs> counts on the bottom and top. Did you ever play um, old, old games? So I did this in high school. So like mid 90s, mid to late 90s, Command and Conquer. No, it's like a tactical strategy game where you build armies. Oh, I used to risk and whatever. Yeah, it was the first game that I ever like dialed my modem into my friend's house and we'd stay up (laughs) all night, all summer, destroying each other's armies. There's a there's a game game. that I still play um, called uh, Civilization Revolution. Um. And it's, it's, I mean, it's a civilization game. So if you know that, then you understand that you're like building cities and you're building armies and you're, you know, putting resources to science or gold and you're all and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's a deep, like sort of RPG game, but it's not as all encompassing as civilization proper is. It's sort of like the dumbed down, simpler version of that. But it's like, all right, choose which culture you want to be. I want to be French. I want to be Russian. I want to be from fucking, you know, the, the Aztecs. I want to be china japan whatever you build your home base and you can build other cities and whatever but they put a time cap on it so you start at like 2500 bc and then it ends at like 2095 ad 
And it's just, it's risk, right? It's just, all right, I can build my armies and I got to conquer the other guys, or I got to I got to build enough science ingenuity so that I can launch a rocket ship to the stars or I can get enough gold to win an economic win or I can make enough culture to, to form the United Nations. Like, I like it because it's it's discreet. Like, it takes about 45 minutes to play a game. There's no uh, real emotional involvement, but it's just kind of strategy. It's just resource management. It's just, and the world is different every time. It's randomized. I wish it was a multiplayer or people who played on the multiplayer because the game is now like 15 years old. It just exists now on the PlayStation network, but I love it. I, every system I've had, I now like found it on the PS5. I think I first had it on the Xbox one. No, the Xbox, my old school wow. Xbox. Um, but yeah, there's, there's sometimes those games where it's like, I don't need to shoot anybody. I don't need to fucking drive anything. I don't need to pilot anything. I just want to solve this problem of how do I dominate everything? Somebody, Chris uh, Buchaniak in chat says a like a John Hughes movie universe game, which they kind of do in Ready Player Two, the book, I think. They make that into a game. Oh, yeah. I think you could get into a lot of trouble that way, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> what's the point of your game? A couple of nerds trying to get laid in the 80s? Yeah. What could go I mean wrong? Where do you where do you where do you come down on rape? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because there's a lot of questionable uh, sexual activity going on here. Like I was watching uh, uh, Revenge of the Nerds. It was on like AMC or something. I was like, oh, I haven't seen this movie in 20 years, and I got 20 minutes into this watch. It's like, oh god, oh this is rough. Mm. Ooh, this is like kind of all kinds of wrong here. Uh, but hey, there's there's okay there's there's anthony edwards sure there's fuck wow there's john goodman is the coach okay uh, this ain't great uh, turn it off <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah oh the 80s <laughs> 80s bad judgment all around <laughs> like to be able to say that they didn't know better but i think they knew better they just didn't care <laughs> Well, that was cool. That was cool. Well, thank you. Thank you, chat, for giving up some fun questions. Um, thank you to Tiffany Smith for hopping on and talking Last of Us and the very top half of our uh, of our DC conversation. Thank you, as always, to uh, to the man who makes this happen, without which we would have no podcast, uh, JC Banffman Reifenberg. And, uh, and thank uh, all of you, dear audience, for, uh, for spending an hour and a half with me um, as I wax silly on cool and fun shit. Thank you to the good folks at Native for making it so that we can do this um, on an irregular basis. Um, and uh, I'm not sure when we'll be back, but hopefully um, there will be another person um, next to me or on the opposite box of me, wherever the boxes are. Um, and and I can go back person? to bamfing in and being my little... And you can bamf in. If, if the bamf makes you happier... <laughs> Then we'll ban it just like that. Um, but yes, thank you. This has been another episode of Black Man Beyond. Um, stay tuned. Same black time, same black channel. Um, smodcast.com. I oop, have been Mark Bernard. Sorry, missed that part. Um, but yes, smodcast.com or youtube.com slash Kevin Smith. Good night, everybody. Drive safe wherever you're driving to. 
Um, stay warm or cool. Uh, and we'll see you soon. Peace. This has been a Smodco Internet production. Sip only at Smodcast.com. This has been a Smodco Internet production. Sip only at Smodcast.com. <laughs>